I want to encourage you to turn with me for a second week to Matthew chapter 13 as we read the parable of the sower, which as we learned last week is sort of a parable about parables. It's an introduction to parables. Uh, It's how it's treated in the Gospels. And so it sort of provides us with a glimpse of how we should perceive on multiple levels the truths that parables teach us. So hear now the words of our Lord through the pen of Matthew, who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote thus. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. 
And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this passage and for your word. We thank you for giving it to us, for implanting it in our hearts. Grant, Lord, that we would be proven to be among the good soil. We ask, O Father, that by your spirit you indeed would sustain us and preserve us. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. Okay, so if you were here last week, then you know that this is simply the continuation and conclusion of the sermon that was begun last week, because I simply prepared too long of a message for that day, I apologize. Uh, And we noted how Matthew very conveniently for us sort of collects and he puts all of the examples of parables that he wants to include in one chapter for us so that way we can easily have a summary and overview of this very important and very famous teaching model that was employed by our Lord. And we talked about how this passage reveals that the purpose of parables is not to illustrate divine truths. It isn't to make Jesus' teaching clearer Rather, Jesus taught in parables precisely so that the unbelieving wouldn't get it. That the parables themselves are a form of judgment. That oftentimes you see in Scripture that the way sin is punished is by God thrusting you into more of that sin, thereby heaping up guilt upon you. We talked about how the parables, precisely because they're intended to give insight to some while intentionally concealing insight from others, that that they oftentimes, even the most simple of parables, is notoriously difficult for us to interpret. And I think that that's not only on purpose, but I think it helps us understand the multifaceted nature of of parables, and we see at work even in those of us who believe the the concealing nature of the parable by the fact that it's so difficult for us to always agree what's being talked about. But then this parable, the parable of the sower, is a very important parable. It's only one of three parables that's listed in all four, uh, three of the Synoptic Gospels, and we will be discussing. The other two, when we come upon them, because when a parable is referenced in all of the synoptic gospels, it means something especially important. And we saw that in Mark 4, which is Mark's 
account of this parable, Jesus expresses surprise that the disciples don't understand what it means, and he indicates that this parable itself is kind of an interpretive grid that helps you understand or get into the the right frame of mind and the frame of thinking when it comes to looking at other parables. So this parable itself is, is vitally important. And we talked last week about the importance of taking our interpretive cues from the parable itself and not drilling down on, on various points or details or the absence of details that, that aren't necessarily germane to the point Jesus is making. Let Jesus make the point. And so in this particular passage, One of the things that some interpreters try to make a big deal is is how more efficient we should be with our our sowing of the seed. How if the sower was more careful, he wouldn't have wasted the seed on the path or on the rocky soil, or on, or on the, the, the soil that was, was bad and among thorns. And that if the sower had simply been more efficient and better, he could have got a net greater in produce by putting all the seed in good soil. And that's to abuse this kind of a parable. He's simply discussing the nature of why it is that some people respond the way they do to the gospel. And pastorally, how we should then respond and how we should orient our spiritual life. And those details, while while important observations, if Jesus was giving you a strategy to actually go out and sow a field, when you realize that this is an allegory for humanity, you don't know what kind of people they are beforehand. And that's just the point of the parable. So the interpretation that some parable interpreters take away, that we should be more efficient, is actually the opposite of what this passage is actually teaching us, that by its very nature, sowing the word, preaching, is remarkably inefficient. That we scatter indiscriminately. We tell whoever will listen. And sometimes they prove to be good soil and other times not. But there's no such idea. It's a myth that you can target good soil. You do not know who the good soil is. So beware of abusing parables and let Jesus be the interpretive guide for us. Okay? If Jesus points it out as a detail, then it's a detail that matters. If not, then it's our vain curiosity. Okay? So after providing that bit of feedback, we discussed last week that the three key elements in this parable, indicated by the parable, are first, the seed, next, the sower, and third, the soils themselves. And we discussed how this parable, being the parable of the sower, is told to the disciples so that they would have two points of understanding. First, that they would have an interpretive grid that helps them process why it is that certain people respond to the exact same message in radically different ways. Why is that? So it gives them an outward-looking lens. But second, 
It gives them a pastoral lens. And this pastoral lens is very important for us. It invites us to look at ourselves because this passage is principally about hearing. Hearing. This is echoed in James chapter 2 that the Christian life is essentially all about responding properly to the word of God. And that you see that principle here. He who has ears... Let him hear. And this, each of the soils, Jesus says, is the one who upon hearing. And it's precisely their ears that have been closed, that Isaiah says, so that they won't turn and repent because they love the darkness. This passage is about hearing. And so pastorally then, we need to look at ourselves. How am I hearing the word and responding then to the word that's been implanted within me? And we said that the word is the seed. How it's specifically called that in Mark chapter 4. And here it's specifically called in verse 19, the word of the kingdom. It is the gospel. But it's not just the gospel in written form or gospel in theological abstract. It is the gospel proclaimed. It is the proclamation of the word that has been appointed by God to be the primary means of conversion. And so the word proclaimed is scattered indiscriminately. And we tell, we broadcast. And sometimes the word is heard by people along a spectrum. But there's not just the seed, there's the sower. And we said that the sower, uh, very importantly for us to remember, is ultimately Christ. That the human vessel is simply the, the visible external mouthpiece, but ultimately people respond to the voice of the shepherd. And we looked at Romans 10, 14 and how the NASB is the only version that gets it literally and that the, uh, the, the Greek literally says, how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? If they haven't heard Jesus, how are they to believe in him? And he's the great shepherd and he appoints ministers who will speak in his name, his people who carry the message in his name. But ultimately, it's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus who speaks irresistibly by his spirit and saves. Which is why... There have been bumbling, mumbling, barely coherent preachers who have led to conversions. And you have had the most eloquent of men have very few. God in his sovereign wisdom has a chain of, of preaching that, that links us all together back to the apostles, but that chain is made up of varied instruments. Read, read the story of, of Spurgeon. Many of you know he was the prince of preachers in Victorian England. Preached to tens and tens of thousands of people. Powerful preaching. His preaching endures to this day. But he was led to the Lord by the preaching of, of someone who could barely string two sentences together. God uses preachers of all kinds. And the proclamation of all kinds. 
When you proclaim the gospel to your children or your family or your friend, you just worry about being accurate and faithful. The Holy Spirit fills in the gaps. The Holy Spirit is the one who speaks either in spite of you or through you. And they hear the voice of the Savior, the shepherd of the flock. So, that one elevates, but it also humbles. We are the voice, the mouthpiece, but Jesus is the speaker. But lastly, that leads us to the soils, and it's right here where we cut off last week. And we talked about what the soils indicate to us, and there's four types of soils listed here. There's first the, the barren path, and many of you have taken hikes out into the country. I, I hope you haven't lived your life on the confines of urban concrete sidewalks. You need to get out into the country and, 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 and walk on some dirt paths. And you know, if you've ever done that, that when a path is walked on enough and it's sun-baked enough, it becomes hard and shiny. It's not just dusty with loose dust on it. It's, it's hard and impervious. Even rain falling on it doesn't hardly seem to penetrate. It just kind of rolls off. It's baked solid. And that's the path here. So when seed hits it, it kind of bounces a little bit. And, it, and it's good for nothing except food for the birds. And then there's the rocky ground. And many of you have struggled at various points in your life with perhaps planting a garden or something. And you know how difficult it can be if there's rocks everywhere. Then there's the thorny ground. And he's not just talking about the weeds that, that the seeds are everywhere. And it doesn't matter where you're at, you're going to have weeds grow. He's talking about the thick, gnarly, nasty, thorny, bush-type weeds that grow up among things. And they choke out the plant. And then fourth, there's good ground. So I just want to make three observations based upon these four types of soil. First, it is not the beginning that counts. It is not the beginning that counts. Three of these soils, rocky, thorny, and good, all produce a sprout. In fact, only one of those three that produce a sprout actually does the text describe the eagerness and joy felt by the hearer. And that is the rocky ground. Now, all too often, we put our confidence, we put our eggs in the basket of who responds. But what do we see here? There are three that seem to respond positively. But there's only one that avails. So, when we are proclaiming the word and looking at those out there, we, we should have a little bit of circumspection about people who appear to be responding positively. 
Because this parable is a picture that articulates what Jesus has proclaimed for us in his gospel already. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. A good beginning may be nice. Perhaps, as Mary Poppins tells us, well begun is half done, but it's not going to get you across the finish line. There are people who respond enthusiastically because the gospel has various facets that are very appealing to someone who struggles with the hardships and difficulties of life. Just like there are people who feel bad about the things they've done and they have remorse. And just like true remorse and true repentance may have some similar visual overlap, but yet they are not the same thing. You can feel bad without having truly repented, i.e. Judas. Just like you can enthusiastically respond to the gospel without having had true repentance and true faith. So be a little circumspect. And this is why... For example, in the pastoral epistles, it directs that those who are to be officers need to have been tested. They need to have withstood the testing of some time. It's not foolproof, but there's no substitute for endurance over time. And that leads us to the second point. While finishing, while starting is not determinative, Finishing well is what matters. Finishing well is what matters. Understand that this passage is teaching in pictorial form the perseverance of the saints. The only soil that does anything that merits, that yields any benefit, is the last one, the good soil. So, what we should be doing practically is not thanking God, oh, I thank you, O oh Lord, that I'm the good soil, that I'm not like the thorny soil and the rocky soil, and I thank you most definitely, O oh Lord, that I am not that hard path. That's the prayer of the Pharisee. The New Testament has so many warnings that I think what each of us should be doing is, oh Lord, preserve me in the hour of difficulty, lest I reveal myself and I prove to have been nothing but the thorny soil, nothing but a fair-weather Christian. Oh Lord, preserve me, lest my affections and my desires and my inclinations become so overwhelmed with the cares and concerns of the world that they functionally drown out the gospel and I just lose all sight and I end up just drifting away. Oh Lord, preserve me. Brothers and sisters, that should be our prayer. And that should be our application. Not to sanctimoniously look down our finger and judge this is a first person pointing back at me type of thing that I need to persevere to the end because it's the only faith, it's the only hearing that will yield fruit 
and the fruit ultimately being the salvation of my soul. So beginning is not determinative. Ending well is. But third, notice what it says here about good soil. Good soil. Everybody knows that good soil for planting is not just the ground. It may be nutrient-rich. It may be relatively rock-free. But everybody knows that good soil is prepared soil. Everybody. Everybody knows that for soil to receive seed, it needs to be prepared, tilled. And so... This passage, not only is it teaching the perseverance of the saints and the fact that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, lest we prove to be nothing more than fair-weather Christians and and the thorny-soiled Christians who, who don't last, but by implication, the good soil is a reminder that there are those who hear who the Holy Spirit has prepared. And here you see the sovereign purposes of election. So we can have confidence in proclaiming that at least some of the people we tell will indeed bear fruit. So we can have hope and optimism in our evangelistic efforts but we can also rejoice in our, in our first person as we look at our own lives and as we pray for the Lord to preserve us. We can give thanks that the reason I'm not the hard path that the word just bounces off of is, in, is because the Holy Spirit prepared my soil. The reason I have persevered through the troubles so far, it's because I was prepared soil. The reason why amidst a cultural affluence and comforts and conveniences, I've persevered thus far is because I was prepared soil. These are all signs and evidences. And so I don't just pray fearfully, Lord, preserve me. I pray thankfully joyfully that the signs of life that I exhibit aren't aren't just because of me. It's because they're telltale signs of the handiwork of the Holy Spirit who is the great preparer. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope you see that this passage here is one, an exhortation to self-reflection And to walk with humility and to prayerfully petition our Father to preserve. But it's also an invitation to give thanks with joy for the signs of life that you have been given. And to walk in faith that he who began a good work in you will bring it to its completion. And then, oh yes, 
as you wonder and scratch your head why. How is it that two kids can grow up in the same house and one turns out okay and the other one, has, that person's life is a wreck? How? How? Behold the parable of the sower. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for what you teach us, what you call us to. Grant that we would with humility petition you for sustaining grace, but also grant, Lord, that we would not be ignorant of the signs of your handiwork in our lives, that we would be grateful and that we would rejoice over the good work that you have begun in us. Grant, O God, that we would persevere to the end and prove to be good soil. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen.